So as we consider again, revivers, O Lord, our text is 2 Chronicles 7 verses 12 to 20. And if you were to ask anyone about revival, this is likely to be one of the first verses they would think of. We know that all revivals in history have been birthed and fueled through the place of prayer. And there are calls around the world and there are prayers going up for God to bring a mighty uh, harvest from across the nation, for revival to come right across the world. And increasingly, people within the church are saying that God is preparing these people. God is preparing the church for a great ingathering of people into heaven. Revival is when the presence of God is poured out and the glory of God falls upon a place where, where the tangible presence of God can be felt and people become aware of a holy God and particularly become aware of their own fallenness and their own brokenness and the state of sin in their hearts. And in times of revival, many, many people call, call upon the name of the Lord and are saved. Last time we were thinking about prayer from the temple. God promises that his ears and his eyes are ever attentive to prayer from the temple and his heart uh, is ever toward that place. Uh, of course, he is talking about the uh, physical temple building in Jerusalem. But of course, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we are, as Paul writes to us in Ephesians, a spiritual temple being built up into the Lord. We are living stones in that temple. So we need to be uh, those that uh, have our lives as just like a temple, a place of sacrifice, a place of praise, and a place of prayer. And they, we were thinking about ordering and aligning our lives with God's word and his will and his ways. Jesus needs to take center stage and we need to surrender and submit ourselves to the Son of God in increasing measure. And interesting that if you look back to the revival of 1904 and in some of the earlier revivals, one of the popular cries and one of the popular things you heard from people was benders, O Lord. And people would, uh, what people were asking for was that their wills uh, would be bent and aligned with God. God would uh, help them to surrender and submit fully to his ways. And as they cried out benders and they were thinking about their wills, what they found was they bent under the presence of God as the presence and the power and the glory of God fell. The tangible presence, the weight of glory fell on the place and many people found themselves prostrate in the presence of God. Well, if we want revival to come, maybe we need to spend less time on Facebook and much more time in his book and much more time in his presence. What I want to do uh, is remind us all, of course, that uh, this was a promise to the people of Israel in Solomon's day, but it is a promise that can hold true for all time for the people of God. God is ever attentive to the prayers of his people. 
but it is a conditional promise. If they will, he promises. Uh, if and I, and interestingly, he calls them my people who are called by my name. Revival starts with the people of God. If my people, we are a called out people. Israel, of course, was called uh, out from amongst the nation. One man who became a nation called unto God to be salt and light unto the world. Israel called in one man, grew to a mighty nation, and then in a sense becomes one man again in Christ. And we are a called out people in Christ. So revival starts with you and with me. If we want to see revival in our land, if we want to see our land healed and made clean, then it starts with you and it starts with me. We need to surrender, we need to submit to the will and the word and the ways of God. And we need our lives to be clean and pure before him. The fruit of revival is holiness in God's people. As a holy God comes upon his people, then holiness is the fruit in their lives. My people called by my name. And uh, interesting, isn't it, that uh, Abram becomes Abraham. Abram is the man who is called and is uh, the father of the nation. And Israel, uh, uh, Jacob is renamed Israel. Is it Jacob? Yes, it is Jacob. I'm just getting confused there for a moment. And he wrestles with God all night and he's renamed Israel. He means perseverer with God. And Abram becomes Abraham by the addition of an H. And uh, God's name amongst the Jews, they'd only mention the consonants, uh, Yahweh, uh, Y-H-W-H. And uh, Abram becomes Abraham by the addition of an H. So in a sense, God shares his name with Abram. God shares his name with his people. My people called by my name. We are called and named after the most high God. We are called and named in Jesus Christ. My people called upon my name. Christians and those who are called out to share his name, they have a responsibility, a covenant responsibility. We enjoy the privilege of covenant relationship with God, but it carries the covenant responsibility to represent God in this world, to live in God's world, God's way. When we live in God's world, God's way, we receive his blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. And what we put our hands to, God's blessing and God's peace and God's joy and God's justice flows through and makes a difference. But if we live in God's world our way, then we cause damage to one another and we pollute the land, as it were. So the healing of the land begins with you and I. We need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin 
and heal their land. Four things we need to do and three things God will do. Humbly become before his presence to pray and to pray and to pray like we've never prayed before, to give our lives in prayer, to seek his face, to seek and pursue the presence of God above all else, to seek his presence and to stay in his presence and to make sure we find his presence as we do that and to turn from our wicked ways, to turn around, to change our thinking, to purge and to purify our lives so that we root out all of our wicked ways and we forsake and abandon uh, the sinfulness in our hearts and in our lives. Many of us want increase, many of us want expansion, but we want it without repentance and we want it without cleanliness, we want it without purity and we want it without holiness. We've really got to uh, rededicate and recommit ourselves to the Lord afresh. We need a biblical vision, a biblical worldview. We need to have the hope of glory uh, always before us. We need to know the end from the beginning. We don't know all the detail for sure. God knows all the detail, but we know uh, where we're heading. We, we've, we've read the book. Uh, we've read Revelation, uh, the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven where there's no more sin no more sickness no more sorrow no more tears and there is harmony and there is joy and there is peace forever we need to hold that before us we need to keep praying towards that end and working towards that end we need to know our destiny and our destination and make sure that our prayers and our actions are always fueled by always shaped by and always uh, carrying that vision within them because that's what we're working towards that's to see and hasten the great day of our lord jesus coming back we give our lives for the kingdom of god we give our lives into prayer uh, people of the kingdom need to be a people of prayer and so may prayer take on an even more important role in our lives this is a great quote i found from uh, Shane Claiborne, he's part of the new monastic movement, very, very active in social action. And he said, God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Revive us. Wake us up. Don't let us sleep through the revolution. Make us people who do not accept the world as it is right now, but who insist on moving the world toward what it ought to be. God wants to use you and me. God's purpose is to use our lives to move the world towards what it ought to be. For you and I to see the kingdom of God coming through our lives with power to transform people and to transform places and to hasten the return of Jesus Christ when the culmination and the fullness of the kingdom of God comes. That doesn't come without... Uh, adversity that doesn't come without challenge that doesn't come without the enemy seeking to foil us and thwart us and stop us uh, but as Paul uh, found out in Ephesus and you can read about it in Acts 19 when a great window of opportunity for the gospel opens up then the opposition 
is often fierce. So if we want revival in a region, then we need to understand that great adversity and we might need, like Paul, to wrestle with wild beasts. Now that might mean some people oppose us and uh, maybe some persecution comes against us, like Paul. But I think as well, Paul here is talking about the spiritual forces, the wicked and evil spiritual forces that were seeking to oppose the kingdom of God as the kingdom of God came with power to Paul, who was a great praying man. Extraordinary miracles wrought through his ministry and in that region of uh, Ephesus as uh, Paul dedicated himself to declaring and demonstrating the kingdom of God. So let that vision of what this world, where it's heading towards because of the cross, because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we know that heaven will come in all its fullness on the earth. And let us never be content that until we see that in its fullness. And let us never stop praying that and never stop working towards that. Do we long for the fire of God? The revival is about the fire of God falling. Are we ready to be burned by the fire of God? Many of you will have read about the revival in the Hebrides and uh, started by two old ladies that just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. This was the minister, Duncan Campbell, that was at the heart of it. And this was what he says about the fire of revival. He says, the early church believed in the supernatural. We want to see revival. We've got to renew our belief in the supernatural. Someone has said that at Pentecost, God set the church at Jerusalem on fire and the whole city came out to see it burn. I tell you, if that happened in any church today, within hours, the whole of the town would be out to see the burning and they would be caught up in the flames. It's fire we want. The best advertising campaign that any church or any mission can put up is fire in the pulpit and a blaze in the pew. Let us be honest. We say, God, send revival. But are we prepared for the fire? You know, the consuming presence of God to fall upon us. The writer to Hebrews tells us our God is a consuming fire. Fire comes to burn up all the dross in our lives, to refine us and to purify us so that the treasure and the gold and the silver and the jewels come to the fore. We want that in our lives. Are we ready to be burned up by the fire of God? Are we ready to put our lives on the altar again and again and again and again and let the fire of God burn upon us so that his holiness comes in and through our lives are we prepared to be a people that pays the cost in prayer time and energy over and over again pursuing the presence of god in prayer and praying and pursuing until the presence of god falls god has the ability god has no lack of ability he's done that in the past he can do it again and again and again. But he's looking for a people with the availability and the willingness and the commitment. A people ready to be a people of prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves 
and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. O oh Lord, come and heal our land. Come and forgive our sins. Give us a desire to seek your presence like never before. And Lord, humble us and humble us and keep humbling us. Thank you that Jesus came as a humble servant. Let us know and experience and understand and walk in the humility of Jesus. And let us give our lives over to prayer so that your kingdom might come and that we might truly see heaven on this earth. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.